Computers are live. Mixer is up. Levels are good. Equalizer is good. Ready channels one and two. Mic is live in three, two, one. Roll it. Welcome, listeners, to the My Practice My Business podcast, where we teach dentists and their teams how to reclaim forgotten profitability in dentistry with our clinical business of dentistry training. And now, the host of our show, the clinical director at My Practice My Business, Dr. Rob Thorup. Hello, podcast listeners. It's Dr. Rob with My Practice My Business, and I'm super excited to be with you here today. Hey, our topic today is case presentations are sales cycles. And before you get like really excited like I am right now, I want you to know that there, we teach at My Practice, My Business, that there are six steps to modern case presentation. But before I get into that, I want to talk to you about an experience I had a couple of years ago. I had a consultant come in and he was really excited. He wanted to partner up with us and he wanted to show us just how powerful his case acceptance is with their case presentation. And the case presentation that he showed me literally had approximately 42 steps or some crazy number like that. And he said to me, guess what our case acceptance rate is, Rob? Our case acceptance rate runs about about anywhere between 50 and 60% case acceptance. And I said, wow, that's pretty good, I guess. He said, how many steps to case presentation do you guys teach at my practice, my business? And I said, well, (laughs) we teach six steps (laughs) to modern case presentation. And he goes, what's your case acceptance rate in your practice and the practices you serve? And I said, "Uh, typically well over 80%, and most of our practices hit 90% case acceptance. And that's because we also have the tool, My Dental Docs, which teaches why treatment is needed and why it's necessary. But he was like blown away. Six steps to case, case presentation. And I want to teach this really powerful uh, philosophy into your case presentation cycles, okay? So case presentations are cell cycles. There's six steps to modern case presentation. The six steps to giving the consumer an experience and reason to stay in your practice. Step one is condition. This is defined as signs, symptoms, chief complaints. Step two is location, and this is where you visually show and tell your patients conditions with technology, like intro cameras. Step three is the treatments, and these are the basic procedures you learned in dental school, right? Things that you know how to do. Step four is materials and procedures, and this is where you differentiate modern products and services. Step five is the treatment plan and finances, and this is where you combine the services with their associated fees and commit the patient to the work. Step six is the appoint, and this is done only after financial arrangements have been made. Now for the shocking discovery. The six-step process in modern case presentation is identical to something that is taught in business schools all across North America. It's called a cell cycle. Keep breathing, doc. Keep breathing, team members. You're going to be just fine as you realize that you actually have been a salesperson throughout your entire dental career. So the six steps of a business sales cycle are as follows. One, and we're going to relate them to the six steps of case presentation in dentistry. So step one in the business sales cycle is the introduction. And that's just like introducing your patient to their condition is what we do. 
Step two in the business sales cycle is you gain favorable attention. That's sort of like getting your patient's attention by showing them where their condition's located using internal cameras. Step three is the need. Create the need. That's what's taught in the business sales cycle. So we focus, we magnify, we commit. Hmm, like creating the need for treatment, or oral health care. It's important, right? Step four in the business sales cycle is you relate the features to the need. You differentiate. Wow, this is just like relating the features of modern technology to the needed treatment that they have, the, that they need in their oral health care. Step five is we close the cell in the business cell cycle. Well, that's what we do when we show the patient the treatment plan and put the financial arrangements into place. And then step six is follow-up. Well, we call this appointing the patient. Isn't that amazing? Six steps to a business sales cycle, six steps to modern case presentation, or what I like to even call advanced case presentation. Now let's go into depth with each step to modern case presentation. That's step one condition. Before you even begin your exam, you have to assess the patient. We do this by observing the following. Signs, symptoms, and chief complaints. A sign is what we see clinically. A symptom is what your patient feels. And a chief complaint is what the patient feels is most important to them. Oftentimes, I see practitioners diagnose the needs of their patients and never ask them about their wants. This is where very caring dentists end up treating patients with disease, earning several hundred dollars every day, when tens of thousands of dollars walk out because they failed to listen to the patient's chief complaint of dark, ugly teeth. Ask the patient how they feel and listen to their concerns. 50% of all diagnosis comes from the patient. When you communicate with your patients and spouses and children, remember, you have two ears and one mouth. That's a good ratio to remember. My wife tells me that all the time, and I'm still learning. Maybe after a lifetime, I might figure that one out. Anyway, when a patient comes in for a comprehensive or periodic or limited exam, it's up to us to diagnose abnormal conditions. Over the years, I've seen a wonderful increase in diagnostic capabilities. Not only is technology giving us better tactical tools for diagnostics, but the profession as a whole delivers more thorough exams than in past years, and it's only getting better each year. When the exam begins, you're on a hunt for anything outside of normal limits, right? Do not be afraid to address those ill-fated findings with your patient. Promise yourself right now that the watch button on your chart entry will be reduced to near nothing. I know practices that don't even put that on their icons on their patient charts. Use action words and phrases that consumers can understand, such as unhealthy, Serious will only get worse, infection and others. Like, if you don't get this fixed, you're going to die young, <laughs> okay? Communication is everything. So make sure you're speaking patient language and not scientific language. I use patient speak so much that my brain has to really flip if I get into a scientific discussion with a colleague. That's where you ought to be. Your training, especially when starting your practice, will not be the same training and expertise you'll grow into later in your dental career. Just do your best and keep doing your best. I've noticed the most diagnostic skills are like a bell-shaped curve. We get out of school and know just enough to get by, or as some say, to be dangerous. About midway through our career, through my career, we're extremely competent. Okay, Then age sets in 
and we lose the drive. This is this observation, it's supported by looking at the average age group at most continu- continuing education courses that I see. So keep the drive, or as Walt Disney would say, keep plussing your business. Step two, location, show and tell. That's what I like to call it. Patients who religiously brush, floss, and see you twice a year have no respect for our job security and usually have no conditions to report, right? I hate it when our job security is upset by us promoting oral health and promoting good oral hygiene habits, right? However, thank goodness for the other 60 plus percent that have better things to do than take care of their oral health, and they certainly don't like to floss as much as they should, and we just assume that they don't brush like, but maybe once a week. Okay, that's good job security for us. I'm just kidding. We don't promote that, but maybe deep down inside we're thinking it. Once you find one or more conditions, it's time to tell your story. Early in my career, this consisted of multiple mirrors and light and weird angles and not anymore. Again, one more reason to go digital, including intraoral cameras. This is why I went completely digital in my back in my office back in the early 90s and why Dentrix had me lecture for them for years. I had the first all digital office in the Intermountain States and I think they said I was like fifth in the nation. For years, I have had the ability to place a camera in my patient's mouth and show them their conditions in living color. Nothing, I mean nothing's more powerful than the visual, right? I was just reading an article in a major publication where a younger practicing colleague had just experienced his first month with digital imaging. And this was like a recent read, which scares me because we all should have been digital years ago. He couldn't believe how easy it was for his patients to accept treatment when they saw their own dental misfortunes. I love seeing and reading about this excitement within our profession because I get to experience that all the time. Shoot, I just experienced that a few weeks ago with one of my older patients. And when I showed her her condition in the mouth, she was like, ew, ah, gross, let's get it fixed now, okay? I want you to know how easy it is to show patients their radiographs and color images on color monitors. These images are stored right in the patient's charts with most practice management software, right? Patients are visual. Just look at what they wear, how they style their hair, and what they drive. They want to be informed as to their conditions, and having the capability to show them on a flat panel screen definitely gets their attention. Oh, and did I mention that you can charge them for their intraoral images? The code is D0350. Back in the day, dental insurance plans paid for this code just as easy and all the time as they would for a periapical picture, a bite wing film. When they decided to stop, then all of a sudden they decided to stop paying for the code uh, many years ago. And then in about 2016, about a third of the PPO plans we take started paying for it again. In fact, one of the major insurance players won't pay for a buildup unless you prove the need with an intro photo of the tooth in question that it actually needs a buildup. And they pay for each and every D0350 photo that you take. Isn't that interesting? I'm always amazed at the words and phrases that come from my patients when I show them their condition. Oh, that's gross. Turn it off. Or is that really in my mouth? <laughs> Little five-year-old Susie in the chair with mom looking at a pending pulpotomy on the monitor. Susie, mom threatens. <laughs> you need to brush your teeth better. 
you're going in timeout. Susie stops and she goes, but mom, you took the toothpaste and floss out of my bathroom and haven't given it back. <laughs> I, I love children because they remind us of our real duties in life, right? And they're so honest. Show your patients the what and the where, and then let my dental docs educate them on the why. Step three, treatment for the condition. My favorite patients are those who ask the following question after showing them their condition. They say, how and when can we fix it? Oh, I love that. (laughs) The next step is to show your patient how you will correct the problem. Such education can be done with several tactical tools, such as procedure videos, still images or photos, even handheld models I've used in years past. In my practice, once again, we continue to move towards technology and utilize our cloud-based system called My Dental Docs to give treatment knowledge to our patients. For crying out loud, just go to MyDentalDocs.com and look at what that system can do for educating your patients and helping you increase case acceptance. It's a beautiful thing. Remember, patients forget over 85% of what they see and hear in your office. They simply need documents that they can take home. They need to be able to explain or remember why they need treatment to fix their oral health conditions, right? Although it's true that models are good for patients to touch and feel, I always hate it when parts such as crowns or little implant pieces on the models end up lost. Images are fast, clean, and keep our office uncluttered with models and tacky posters. Oh, I hate posters. Please don't use those. I look forward to the day when holographic technology enters dentistry. I hope I live to to see that in my lifetime. How cool would that be to have a holographic image right there in front of the patient? Well, we're very fortunate to live in this day and age of dentistry for this very simple reason. When we show how we are going to treat a dental condition, we are confident confident that it's going to be fixed with an extremely high success rate, right? Treatments sometimes go south. Patients often don't comply, but these things lead to other treatments. Take notice of what we're doing here. We are documenting conditions and treatment options like never before. Open your mouths, share your knowledge, teach your patients as to how you'll treat their problems, and allow technology to document everything. Images and diagnostic notes They not only protect us from the evils of law firms, (laughs) but they include our patients in their treatment like nothing we've ever had before. I want to emphasize the importance of giving patients options where options can be given. When we think of treatment options, most of us have been trained to differentiate as like with crowns, either they're gold, PFM, or all porcelain, or fillings, either silver or white. Non-surgical periodontal therapy includes root planing and forever periodontal maintenance. These are differentiations that we see with our CDT codes from the ADA and, and are confirmed by insurance companies. It's time to think outside the box because that's where technology has taken us. Dentistry is so much more than we traditionally have been taught to think. And the CDT codes have never kept up with technology, right? So think that through. And offer your patient choice. Remember, we teach it's misleading not to offer your patient choice when choice is there. And that's taught in every business school. Step four, materials and procedures. Trading up in dentistry. After we've explained to our patients how we're going to treat their conditions, we show choices where choices are available. We differentiate those choices and tell our patients the associated costs 
to trade up to more high-tech products and services. Patients appreciate knowledge and choice and are willing to pay additional fees for those choices when they understand them and can articulate them to others. In the many years I've been in practice, I've seen an amazing explosion of technology in the form of equipment, materials, and procedures. I have also seen an increase in the cost of doing business. What I currently spend in laboratory expenses is not what I spent years ago. The price of supplies and laboratory expenses, they've more than doubled, as has the cost of everyday equipment. There is also the needed equipment to provide high-tech procedures and services, and I had hoped the cost of goods would have decreased from the pioneer pricing that I paid for those of us who were early adopters of technology, but it simply hasn't. The million-dollar question is this. Have insurance companies kept up their reimbursement fees equal to the increased costs of doing business? Of course not. I don't believe I've even had an insurance fee increase in the last three years. So how can I order and offer more expensive services and products to my patients when it cuts into my profits dramatically? And the answer is differentiation, value-added service, and you charge for it. Whether you put it, create new codes or put it under the unspecified procedure by report codes, it's up to you. You can do both. Let's look at crowns. We all know that certain types of all porcelain crowns are significantly less expensive than cosmetically designed all porcelain crowns. Most of us want to place basic zirconia in our patient's mouths for several reasons. They're less expensive. We're not reimbursed enough from third parties to justify offering high-end all porcelain crowns. And we had bad experiences with non-zirconia all-porcelain crowns fracturing in their early existence. We hate bonding crowns. We really don't know anything about high-end all-porcelain crowns because we haven't taken the time to learn and so on. There's many reasons. What I have never understood, though, is why you don't charge your patient for any added value service, for any high-tech product, procedure or any other service that goes above and beyond what has been the accepted perceived standard in our industry. Who in the world told you that you could not make a profit for value-added services? Why do you allow your patients and yourselves to be governed by such nonsense? For example, I was lecturing on trading up in dentistry many years ago. My presentation included teaching colleagues and team members about offering patient choices in crown products and charging an additional fee for higher-end, cosmetically value-added services. To help you understand this more, think about one of my favorites, an IPS Emax crown by Ivoclar. Most of you should be aware that you can order this crown from labs all across the country from roughly 100 bucks to $350 or more per unit. If your CDT code D2740 is set at one fee, which is what insurance companies do, courtesy of the ADA's CDT codes, I already know which lab you'll most likely be ordering from. But you and I also know that there is a big difference in porcelains and translucencies from one technique to another, and you get what you pay for. But if your patient is taught the difference in porcelains, techniques, coping types, which crown would they choose? What crown would you prefer to have in your mouth if you were given a choice, Doc? Which crown would you prefer to have that is, has really nice anatomy in it, or not really nice anatomy, that has very translucent, vibrant look to it versus an opaque, dead look to it. What if the difference between your current lab's basic all porcelain is 150 and the price of their more high-tech crown is 250 
Should you give your patient that choice? Should you charge them for the difference? Can you legally, ethically, and honestly charge them more without breaching your PPO insurance contract? (laughs) The answer is yes. You just need to know how to do it and stay within the guidelines of your contracts. Consider your choice from a business perspective, and do what every other business, including hospitals, do. Not only should you charge the difference, but actually mark it up. That's right. Charge an additional 200 250 or more for the upgraded product. It's all right to do what other businesses do. You really don't have to do dentistry for free. As I was giving a lecture years ago, some poor I-know-everything office manager raised her hand and belted out, You can't do that, Dr. Thorup. It's illegal. I know how she felt years ago. I felt the same way for years, which was until I had an epiphany of thought while listening to our good friend uh, Gordon Christensen talk on operating costs. She had fallen right into my trap. I asked her to name the insurances her office took and then asked her to pick one of them for us to call. She thought it was crazy, but we called them anyway. The question was asked like this. I have one of your insured clients in my office. That needs two posterior crowns. We'd like to place a product called IPS Emax on both these teeth. The problem is these crowns cost us significantly more than our regular all-porcelain crowns. Can we charge our patient, who happens to be your client, an additional fee to cover our additional lab fee and liability for such a restoration? In addition, will disclose to the patient that this value-added service is an additional cost to them not cover, and not a covered benefit from you, the insurer. The entire audience heard the answer, which was an outstanding, of course you can. <laughs> she continued to tell us to read our contract because a clause in the document vaguely states that information already. It was not my intention to insult or embarrass that office manager, but I'm going to be honest. I did enjoy it. I enjoyed the experience because closed-minded team members often cost us dentists more than we know. And Doc, you, when you're in the status quo and your team members want to grow and they want to get paid fairly and want to make bonuses and have increased pay, you put them in the same position. So pull out the contracts and read them. Look for opportunities, not obstacles. Ask the right questions open-ended ones, not closed ones. Like you can't ask the insurance company, hey, can I add to the D2740 code that I'm already contracted with to put a more expensive product in the patient's mouth? Of course the answer is going to be no to that one. My next question to the audience was, how many of you have read your PPO contracts cover to cover? The answer is always the same. Less than 10% raised their hands and stated that they did. The 10% that say they have read their contracts really haven't thought through them, though. Oh, sure, I get the occasional office that has read their contracts, and those are the offices that get the most out of my lectures and training because they get it. Usually, they're already trading up in dental products and procedures. My lectures simply add additional pearls of wisdom to them and not a complete course correction. When we trade up in dentistry, offering more expensive alternatives and high-tech procedures to our patients do not just increase your fees by cost differences, but they raise it for a profit. Do you believe Target and Nordstrom's only raise their fees by the increase of cost of goods? 
<laughs> no. Do you believe Delta Airlines only raises their fees by the 10 cents per gallon increase in fuel? Nope. Our businesses are no different. Why do you think hospitals and grocery stores itemize every little thing when you have a visit? Do not just raise your fees accordingly. Create new codes, descriptions, and fees to account for the upgrades. You can actually create a code called IPS Emacs. Call it D2991. Most practice management softwares allow you to do that. Insurance companies are trying desperately to bundle our codes and fees. Don't let them. Constantly let them know that you will not allow this to happen. They will, they, they will allow you to charge for what you do when you simply push back. And did you know that the ADA states that bundling is considered fraudulent? Use that quote to the insurance companies and watch them back down. To drive my point home, you need to know that in my practice resides two patients that are upper-level managers from two of the major insurance players found all across the country. Both of them have personally needed crowns, fillings, and other procedures that we have charged additional fees for. Both have, have upgraded and paid additional fees for more expensive products and services and have appreciated the fact that I have given them that choice. I have given them the choice to choose. Many of their coworkers have joined our practice over the years with the same appreciation of choice. No, it's not illegal to offer value-added and cosmetic services to your insured patients. Yes, you can turn it into a profit center. So stop beating up the insurance companies for your own lack of high-tech knowledge. Insurances cannot dictate treatment to your patient. They cannot come between the doctor-patient relationship. And value-added services is treatment at its best. So what are areas of choice that we can give our patients? Consider crowns and bridges as these lab fees are all over the board and the quality too. I offer IPS Emacs all porcelain restorations for nearly everything I want to have look really awesome. Lithium to silicate is currently the best material when opposing enamel. However, when I need strength for my jaw grinders, I have to go to zirconia. I'll order zircon for both single units and bridges with a cutback for porcelain to be added to the buckle or the facial. Okay, Be careful when ordering translucent zirconia if you want strength. You need to be familiar with the compressive and tensile strains. You need to cover if you need to cover a dark stump and want ultimate cosmetic results, yeah, you want, don't want to use a translucent zirconia. It's definitely solid zirconia or low translucency Emacs to do those. As for composites, we all know that 3M's Filtech Supreme is one of the most expensive with newer composites in the same area. As of today, Filtech is still my go-to composite for upgrading. When they don't, I use brand name microhybrids from Patterson and Henry Schein. The value-added service is in both the layering technique and in the technology of the material. I can't wait to see what the future brings. Ten years from now, these materials will probably be obsolete. There's so many CDT codes that go underutilized by dental offices, too, and even more where codes can be created to reflect value-added services. Most dentists simply don't know what they don't know meaning they have no idea how much revenue is walking out their door on a daily basis. At my practice, my business, we slam those doors shut and increase revenues dramatically for our clients. Other dentists often ask me, what about our fee-for-service patients? Charge them an additional fee too. 
How in the world will any of your patients appreciate what you do for them if you don't explain to them what you do and charge for it? Most practices we have, uh, their fee-for-service fees, most practices their fee-for-service fees are just too low anyway, okay? Period. It's like the amoxicillin 500-milligram capsule, just one. It costs the hospital a whole eight cents to purchase, yet it costs you, the patron, about $9 on your bill, right? The explanation is that the pharmacist has to take the time to make sure you won't die from taking it, the nurse has to feed it to you, and the administrator has to track it. It's all about value-added service. Now, you laugh at that, but there's a true concept behind that, a true business concept behind that. I just believe we do a better job of it in dentistry than they do in medicine, and we should get paid for what we do. Hospitals bill insured, non-insured the same way, and so should you. My fees always range in the 75th percentile to 80th percentile. Adding value-added charges really take my fees beyond the 90th percentile when it comes to traditional cash-paying patients. Come to think of it, I should probably raise my fees even a bit more. Okay. I beat that to death. And remember, you have to offer value-added service to both insured and uninsured. Otherwise, it's unethical. Treat everybody equal. Step five, treatment plan of financial options. No patient needing treatment should ever leave your office without a treatment plan and supporting documents explaining why treatment is needed and financial arrangements in place. My practice has very unique business folders that these documents go in. These folders are marketing pieces that are branded to our practice and have generalized information about us on them. Every legal-aged patient signs a financial policy form that explains their financial obligations to our office. They understand that payment is due at time of service. We simply don't carry accounts in our practice. For our uninsured or for our insured patients, co-pays are due at the time of service with the understanding that it's only an estimate. If a patient needs financing, then we engage a financial institution here locally called Mountain America Credit Union. If they don't qualify for MACU, that's the acronym for Mountain America Credit Union, and they cannot come up with financing, we simply don't do the work. Do not deviate from your financial policy unless it's your (laughs) mother-in-law. Then you should probably charge her double, I'm thinking. Anyway, step six, schedule. Patients get scheduled only after financing is in place. There are very few things that can ruin a schedule like having to turn a patient away after they have been blocked out for several hours because they can't come up with their copay or full payment for services. And if you take payments, you've already lost money. Next thing is schedule for the day. What I mean by that is you should have daily production goals. If there are holes in your schedule for the upcoming day, do your best to fill them. Once you have worked a day with holes in the schedule, you can never make up that lost production, ever. Give your hygienist an hour for each of their recare appointments. Do as much production as you can in 3.5 hours when it comes to working appointments. Work by quadrant or side. The reason I like to hold it at 3.5 hours is because that's the amount of time you can reasonably keep a patient anesthetized without too much jaw discomfort. Do I sometimes exceed that? Absolutely, I do. There are some procedures where I'll bring the patient in for the full day because they've asked to be there for the full day to get everything done. And the most important thing about the day is really a marketing play. 
It's calling every patient at the end of the day who got a needle stick. See how they're doing. This act of kindness goes a long way with each patient that you care for. Promoting oral health care and preventing lost revenue is a goal we should always try to achieve. If you want formal training on the six steps to modern case presentation and many more financial pearls of wisdom, attend the My Practice, My Business Master Training. Hundreds of offices have attended, and not one of our clients have ever been disappointed. Thank you so much for tuning into the My Practice, My Business podcast. You can find additional podcasts you may have missed that will help you with your dental practice at Apple iTunes Podcasts. And remember to become a subscriber to our podcast. Many of you have asked how to help support the My Practice, My Business podcast. If you have enjoyed the program and information you received today, the best way to help is to leave us a five-star review. Thanks again for allowing us to be a part of your day.